This is a message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. For other sermons from Antioch, you can visit the church website at antiochchurchnc.org. Now, let's turn our hearts to the Word of God. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor, the Hevite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter, Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field. So Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it. And the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter. For such a thing must not be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give him to her to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give us your daughters to us. And take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us, and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes. And whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamor deceitfully, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to them, We cannot do this thing, to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you, that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem, And the young man did not delay to do the thing, because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamor and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it, for behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives, and let us give them our daughters, Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people. When every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised, will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of his city listened to Amar and his son Shechem, and every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. On the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamar and his son Shechem with the sword 
and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the house, they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? have to do that sometimes. Hey, I want to say you guys who were here this morning, there was a big crowd for men's breakfast. I'm thankful that you were here because you heard a great word from my son, Caleb. And you guys who missed it, please, and women as well, listen to the recording. So, tough passage. You ever play the what if game? We all do that, right? We all play what if. What if you could understand your dog? What if your mom was a spy? Go ahead and glance at your mom just for a second. She might be. Now, those are fun, but there are, there are more tragic what-if games. Like, if we play the what-if game after tragedy has struck, after something tragic has happened to us, to our family, then a lot of times what happens is shame and guilt are heaped upon the grace that God's pouring out to heal us and to deliver us from that tragic circumstance. I think Peter may have played that game for three days After the Garden of Gethsemane, what if my sword had been true and I could have delivered the Lord from that angry mob? Well, we know how that story ended and we know that was God's purpose and plan. But here's some what ifs that I think we could ask about this text today. Vic mentioned one of them last week. What if Jacob had obeyed God and gone back to Bethel instead of stopping in Succoth and then over to Shechem, right? What if Jacob had commanded his household to put away their foreign gods when they got to Succoth or when they got to Shechem and not waited until they were told by God to leave and go to Bethel? We'll see that in the next chapter. They still had foreign gods in their possession. What if Jacob had not let his only daughter wander in a wicked city alone? What if Jacob had not been a passive bystander after his daughter's assault? What if Jacob had understood the level of his son's rage and had addressed them before they took action? We don't know. (laughs) We don't know the answers to those questions, do we? So let's look at what we do know in this text, and we'll talk about three main points, defilement, deception, and destruction. It's an ugly story. There's just no way around it. And like so many of the other stories we've read in Genesis, there are no real winners here. Nobody wins in this story. A lot of losers. God is the hero of this book. We've said it over and over. But in this story, no one's paying him any attention. Dinah was the youngest of Leah's seven children and the only daughter, the only girl. Most likely, we don't know, but most likely she's referred to as a girl here and as a young woman by Shechem who apparently doesn't know her name. Probably she's around 15. That's the best guess of the scholars. Somewhere around the teenage, young teenage, mid-teenage 
time of her life, but we cannot know for sure. It says she went out to see the women of the land. That sounds innocent, doesn't it? But in fact, when, when she did that, Alan Ross says she loosened the stone for the slide. Now, wait a minute, I'm not putting blame on her. But in the Old Testament, the wording there for went out is often, almost always, referring to someone making a poor, a poor moral choice. They went away from what was safe. They went out into something dangerous. And so get that uh, in your mind because that's what's happening here. Leah knew that, that, that she, you know, the question is whether Jacob or Leah knew. Did Jacob or Leah know that their daughter was going to go wandering in this wicked city by herself without any protection? Maybe. Maybe they knew and Jacob just gave it a big old shrug. Maybe they said, no, you will not go out in this city by yourself. Like we sometimes tell our daughters or our sons, no, you're not going to go to that thing, you know, that you want to go to. And she just paid them a great no mind and she went out on her own. We don't know. Anyway, again, we cannot be certain, but Leon Morris wrote, unattached young women in that day were considered fair game in cities of the time in which promiscuity was not only common, but in fact a part of the very religious system Itself, So the level of danger was heightened by the culture in which they found themselves in a wrong place. They shouldn't have been there at all. Even in the Near East today, you know this, Arab women and Muslim women will not go out by themselves. They will go in groups together. It was then and it is now a dangerous world, right? And especially a dangerous world for young girls. And every parent's worst nightmare happened to Dinah. So the report of the assault is essential to the story. Moses wrote this book, we know that, and he makes it clear that this was an assault. Look at the wording here he chooses. Shechem saw her, he seized her, he lay with her, he humiliated her. And in the Hebrew, the phrase lay with her, in fact, does not have the with connotation there. It's, it's more of a, she was the object and he was the subject and he lay her. And in fact, when, when Potiphar's wife says to Joseph later in this book, hey, come and lie with me, there was an understanding that Joseph had to give his consent to do what Potiphar wanted him to do. There was no consent here. There's no indication that Dinah consented. It was force. It was a violent crime. It humiliated this young girl. It's one of the most shameful events in the Old Testament. Shechem took advantage of this young woman, and then, amazingly, he took her, happily, he took her to his own home. We find that out later. That's where they found her, in his home. And then, Moses writes that Shechem loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. What a perversion of the order that God has set up for a man and a woman, and it's supposed to happen this way, right? A man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife, that's where they take their vows, and then they become one flesh. In this case, Shechem reversed that. He forced her to become one flesh, a clear violation of the law of God. And, and then he began to pursue her as a wife. He says he loved her, but it was probably nothing more than sensual Sensual desire. Young people, listen, be careful. There's a trap that you can fall into very careful, but very easily. This is, a, this is a, a cliche for a reason. And I've changed some of the words here 
Uh, sometimes young men use love, in quotes, to get intimacy, and young women use intimacy to get love. In the case of Shechem and Dinah, he alone was the guilty party. Even though she was in the wrong place at the wrong, at the wrong time, even if she disobeyed her father, she went out in this wicked place by herself, she was not at fault for what happened to her. Let's make that clear. His violent demand for immediate gratification also would have very deadly consequences. So what happens next? Jacob hears, verse 5, Jacob hears that it had happened, but look, he kept quiet about it. He was waiting for his sons to come in from the field. This is the most puzzling part of this story to me. I don't know if you felt the same way, but you're going, what? He, he kept quiet. Well, what's going on here, right? Jacob heard. Jacob said nothing. Hamor came to speak to Jacob about his son marrying Jacob's daughter. Jacob said nothing. The sons come in from the field. They hear about this. And the wording there is, the men were indignant and very angry because he, Shechem, had done an outrageous thing in Israel. For such a thing must not be done, not just in Israel, but in America as well. You know, I, I can see Moses as he's reading this text that he just re- he's written, right? He's written the Bible. He's writing the Bible here. And I can see him reading this and looking at the men and the young men and sternly looking at them with a little growl in his face, when he, in his voice when he says, such a thing must not be done. It's true. And the, and the sons of Jacob got that. But did Jacob get that? It's hard to see. It's hard to understand. It seems like this patriarch crawled back into the shell of the old Jacob where he's afraid and he's not going to act. In fact, there's not a hint in the text that Jacob gets involved in this at all until Simeon and Levi have wiped out all the men in the city of Shechem. And then Jacob gets involved, and we'll talk about that later. What Dinah needed more than anything is the same thing every daughter needs from her father, and that is his protection and his love and his compassion and his sympathy and his mercy, especially at a time like this. And it doesn't seem like there was any of that. We can't argue from silence. Maybe it was there, but there's no proof in the text. And you know, the sad thing is Dinah will never be heard from again. She's never mentioned again in the Bible, except in the genealogy in the end of, at, the, at the end of Genesis. So that's the defilement that leads to the deception. And what followed next was a negotiation between Hamor and the sons of Jacob about marriage, between his people and about marriage uh, and, and sharing the land. But what's shocking to our ears as we read this is that Hamor and Shechem, the son who violated the, this, this man's daughter, and his brother's sister, and, and the father of this son, who knows exactly what happened, there is not a word of apology. There's no contrition. There's no, I'm sorry, I, you know, this was wrong. There's nothing at all. No shame, no admission of guilt. Why? Because in that culture, women were mostly seen as pieces of property. Something to be taken advantage of and owned. Shechem is there, but his father Hamor speaks first, first and he uses the plural you when he says, Shechem longs for your daughter. 
He asked them to allow him to marry this, this girl. You know, would you let my, my son marry her? And, and, uh, and then the two people will become one because your daughters will marry our sons and our sons will marry your daughters and vice versa. And we will be one people and we'll share the land and it was just going to be wonderful seeing Kumbaya together, right? And we will love together. And Hamor and Shechem adds, yeah, whatever you want, I will pay it to have the young woman to be my wife. Isn't it interesting? He, he first refers to her as the girl, get that girl for me. And now he says, I'll pay whatever you want for the young woman. Does he even know her name? <laughs> right? The woman that he had violated is now on the auction block and he's bidding for her. This is where the son's of Jacob show themselves to be the sons of Jacob, right? His name means what? Deceiver, right? And boy, they're good at it too, just like dad. They learned it firsthand from the master. They answer deceitfully, Moses says, verse 13, when they say, there's no way we can do what you're asking. No way, no way we can do this. Why? Because the, you guys have not been circumcised. Oh, yeah, if each of your males were circumcised, then we will, verse 16, give our daughters to you, and we will take your daughters to ourselves, and we will dwell with you and become one people. Now, there's some, a smidgen of truth in there that's stuffed into a lie. Okay, let's examine that, right? What is the truth? The truth is that circumcision was the sign of the covenant for anyone, any male, who was going to say yes the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob is my God as well. I am, I am submitted to him. I am under his authority and I will follow the, the Lord. And that was the sign of the covenant. Uh, that's what Jesus, uh, God said to uh, Abraham in, in Genesis 17. It will be the, a sign of the covenant. And the truth also was that intermarriage with pagans would not be good for the covenant family. Okay, so it would not be good for the people of God to intermarry with the people of Shechem because the people of Shechem worshipped other gods. But what was the lie? What was the lie? The lie was the claim that the sons of Jacob uh, would become one people with the people who lived in Shechem. Not a chance. (laughs) Not a chance. The whole thing is premeditated. Their sole plan was... To destroy the people of Shechem. We might be persuaded that deception in this, this case was okay. That it was justified. Right? They were lying. But hey, sometimes you have to lie for the glory of God. Right? No. Because the penalty, what they were suggesting and what they acted out, the penalty far outweighed Shechem's crime. We also need to run from situational truth or situational ethics of any color or any stripe. Deception will damage our souls. We've talked about this before because it's been so prevalent in this book. But Jesus, Peter says, committed no sin, neither was de- deceit found in his mouth. He's our, he's, our, he's our example. And so then Peter goes on to write, Well, whoever desires to love life and to see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. We're never supposed to use deceit to get what we want in any way, shape, or form. But that's what's happening here. The brothers were justifiably angry at what had happened to their sister, but they did not need to sin as a result of that anger. 
Shechem took what he wanted, and then he tried to buy what he wanted, and it's inexcusable. But the deception of the sons of Jacob was as well. And in fact, they prostituted the sign of the covenant in order to get their desired end. You may have noticed that deception is not just practiced here by the sons of Jacob, but Hamor as well. We'll see that in the last point as we look at destruction. Hamor and Shechem were delighted with the terms of the contract. They thought this was a great deal. And they went straight to the city gate and they told all the men of the city, Hey guys, we got a great idea from these simpleton Hebrews because we're going to cut our flesh, but we're going to get everything they own. Because look at verse 23. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? You see, the the premeditation of Simeon and Levi was only matched by the premeditation of Hamor. And so he's not thinking we're going to be destroyed. He's thinking we're going to end up owning these Hebrews. And so they go and they all get circumcised, every male among them. Derek Kidner writes, crudely performed, circumcision could be quite incapacitating, particularly after two or three days, you think? With the pain... With the fever, probably from infection, from a rusty knife, the inflammation, these guys were in sad shape in three days. That helps us understand how just two men can come into a city and kill every single man and young man probably in that town. The men of the city couldn't respond. And apparently, sad sad truth here, apparently there were... This was before the Marvel days of women warriors. You know, there was no Black Widow. There was no female Captain Marvel to help them out because this story is true. (laughs) And so all the men died that day. It was premeditated slaughter, and folks, it was genocide. They wiped out an entire group of people. Their indignation about the sin committed against their sister was well-founded, but their response was not. Paul wrote in in Ephesians, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. So what Simeon and Levi effectively did was they invited the enemy to just enter into their lives and their hearts and their wills and their actions and their right hand with the sword attached and let us do our, our duty. Hollywood loves vigilante stories, and we sometimes like watching them as well, don't we? But they're usually uh, not a good idea. The Bible warns against them. Listen, was God angry with Shechem about what he did to Dinah? Everybody said yes. Was God looking the other way when it happened or after it happened? Everybody said no. Was punishment for Shechem justified? Yes. But the punishment meted out by Simeon and Levi was disproportional to the crime. Shechem was guilty. Shechem had a price to pay. But that's not what happened. Remember Abraham and and his descendants were blessed by God and called by God to be a blessing to others. And he said, not a curse. And in fact, God said in Genesis 12, And him who dishonors you, I will curse Hey, Israel, if you're dishonored, I'll take care of it. Hey, Israel, if you're destroyed, I'll take care of it. Now, look, God sometimes raised up men of passion at the moment. Think of Phineas, right, 
In that scene where, where the, God, Moses told the people, you are, you are violating God's will by spending time with these women and intermarrying with them. And, and a man came walking through the, the, the camp with another woman who was not a Hebrew and went into their tent. And Phinehas took his sword and ran them both through. So there are times when God raised up a Phinehas, right, or a Jehu who rode furiously, right, to... To do his bidding. This is not one of those times. God did not speak to Simeon and Levi and say, okay, I've got them just where I want them, and you guys go in there and eliminate them. Even though these were wicked people, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. So after Simeon and Levi killed all the men and took Dinah out of the city, uh, they found her in Shechem's home. The other sons came and plundered the city taking everything of value and also taking the women and the children, presumably to become their slaves. So the story ends with Jacob's blistering response to Simeon and Levi. But notice, look at verse 30 again, and notice the number of times that Jacob uses the word I, me, or my. Verse 30, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land. The Canaanites and the Perizzites, my numbers are few. And if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. You see Jacob's concern there? Was he concerned about Dinah? Was he concerned about justice? Was he concerned about anything but himself? That's what it seems to be. He had been passive in his first response to the assault, and now he responds to the sins of his of his sons as, as a selfish old man, uh, old Jacob man. And Jer- Derek Kidner, I love this quote. Derek Kidner says this, Jacob and his sons, the appeaser and the avengers, swayed respectively by fear and fury, were perhaps equidistant from true justice. They exemplify two perennial but sterile reactions to evil. So what's our response when someone we love or we are harmed? We're not to be an appeaser. We're not to ignore it. We're not to be passive. But we're also not to take vengeance in our own hands and, and do double the crime that was committed against us. Well, it's interesting. At the end of his life, turn to Genesis 49. It's interested, interesting what... Jacob writes about these two men. You know, at the end, Jacob blesses his sons. And he blesses, if you want to call it that, he blesses Simeon and Levi together. Genesis 49, verse 5. Simeon and Levi are brothers. Weapons of violence are their swords. Let my soul come not into their counsel. O my glory, be not joined in their company. For in their anger they killed men. And in their willfulness, willfulness, they hamstrung oxen. Cursed be their anger, for it is fierce, and their wrath, for it is cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. So the Old Testament story of defilement and deception and unbridled violence has something to teach us, doesn't it? Let me leave you with a few applications that I see in this text. 
The first is this one. When those in authority sinfully fail to act in a way that reflects love, justice, and maturity, that void is often filled by those who choose to act in a sinful way. Jacob was the adult in the room. He did not act. His sons had, were filled with fury, and they did act uh, to his shame and to their own shame. And so when we have a position of authority and we simply sit by and watch passively, it happens. It happens in churches where pastors and elders know that there's immorality going on in the church, there's adultery going on in the church, there's, there's all kinds of un, unaddressed sinfulness in the church, and, and they just say, well, we're praying, praying God will get a hold of them. No, that's not the position that we've been given as leaders in our homes as dads or in the church as elders. We're not simply just to pray that God will help our brothers and our sisters put down their habitual sin. We have to act. And, of course, we have to make sure that our house is in order before we do that as well. Maybe that's why Jacob didn't act. Maybe he still felt like he was old Jacob. Maybe he still didn't feel like he was that new man. That new, he had a new name, a new purpose, a new calling. He went back to what was comfortable. Number two, let's make every effort to flee from deception. Using deception of any kind, learn to discern the deceptive ways of the world system, which, young people, listen, it permeates advertising, politics, higher education, and lower education, for that matter. And yes, social media. Are you learning to discern the deception in social media? We keep harping on social media. Why? Because it's so destructive. It can be a great tool for evangelism. It can be a great tool for keeping up with lost, long lost friends. It can also be a tool for destruction, for, di- for, for dissolution of your faith, for deconstruction of your ideas. Yeah, deconstruct the bad ideas you heard growing up, but don't deconstruct the ones that came from here and that are true. And as we've seen so many times, as we see again today, God is for us and he is for his people. I... This, this could be Jacob's darkest hour. I think, I think it probably was Jacob's darkest hour. And the darkest or the time of his son's greatest disobedience so far. There's another one coming. But God's, God's still giving grace. He, he's still welcoming his people. He's still wrapping his arms around them. He doesn't destroy them. He doesn't blot out Simeon and Levi and all the rest of the brothers who knew this was going to happen. He, he, he loves them. He welcomes them into his company, right? We who were his enemies, that song goes. He's now, we are now seated at his table. Amazing, amazing grace. God's for us. David knew that so well in his own life, and he wrote this. A father shows compassion. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And he goes on, for he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful this morning for your mercy to us that's new every morning, for your grace that's poured out on us in abundant measures, the measures of grace that we cannot even begin to appropriate all of it every single day. We can't imagine how much you love us because you have perfect love and we're imperfect in everything that we do. And yet, Lord, we believe it. We know it by faith. We know that it's in the word and we believe it's true and we want to appropriate that truth to ourselves today and receive your grace and your mercy. Lord, give us wisdom from this text. It's inserted here 
Yeah, in between Jacob and Joseph, and Lord, we're not exactly sure why, but Lord, we're thankful uh, that we can learn even from this dark hour in Jacob's life and the life of his sons. Teach us from it, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message by Pastor Mark Fox of Antioch Community Church in Elon, North Carolina. Antioch meets every Sunday for worship at 10 o'clock a.m. at 1600 Powerline Road in Elon. You can download other messages by Pastor Fox at antiochchurch.cc. You can also learn how to order his books or subscribe to his blog at jmarkfox.com.